We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If 20-year-olds can light up the Emirates, surely we can handle this. This is the Arsenal Vision Post-Match Podcast. My name's Alex Pitika, Blackman, Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Okay, so it's just a podcast. Done done hundreds and hundreds of podcasts, but not like... Never like this, right? Not Never like, like this. this. Not like this. Uh, the voice you were hearing is Scott. You can find him on Twitter, O underscore that underscore crab. Hello, Scott. Yeehaw! Yeehaw. You got a live yeehaw. So if people are listening to this just as a podcast, then obviously like they're not going to get the full understanding of, of what this is about. But we are in a state-of-the-art facility in Las Vegas in the wind. We broke in. Nobody knows we're here. Um, it is the Blue Wire studio. So a couple things I have to say off the top. First of all, a huge thank you to Blue Wire, obviously, for letting us do this and for this even existing in the first place. And to, to Kevin Jones, whose company has just blown up and is wonderful. And then secondly, like before we get into all the fun and the silliness and the usual thing we do, like I think it is just so important to say how incredible this is. Like, you, you, yeah, you know, like every, like, I think we were talking about this yesterday. We got a, a beautiful tour of everything and this is state of the art. Like just the most absolutely beautiful. Everything is top notch. Um, we were walking through the wind and we saw our, you know, banner here on the back and it's just absolutely amazing. Um, still kind of surreal that we're, we're here being able to do this. Um, I couldn't believe it. Yeah, it, it is amazing. And so like when I think about Linus at Arsenal Vision asking me if I wanted to be on a pod. And then, yeah. you know, thinking about Paul and Tim and Clive and you and, and all the people that have come together to be a part of this and to now be in a place like this. The biggest thing I have to do is thank everybody who listens. Because, like, this only exists because people listening care about this show. And so thank you for that. We love you. And we're going to take your questions today. Primarily, that's predominantly what we're going to do, probably focusing yep. on transfers if we can keep our shit together being in here in the first place. Who knows? But, yeah, I mean, I think, is there anything else we want to talk about or is we want to go straight into kind of questions? Um, I, I think... Let's just start with the Vlaovic thing, right? So, like, yeah, that's that's what a lot of the questions are about as well. Yeah, it's the big news right now is that it looks like Stryker might be on the agenda, and it's not surprising. Um, we have one striker who, after about eighty minutes, looks like he, you know, could use a lie down. But but that's mm -hmm. better than he was at fifty-five minutes, right? That's so, true. No, so. no, no disparaging him. Uh, we have other young strikers who look like they may be out of their uh, on their way out of the club. We obviously have another striker, he who shall not be named who uh, does not seem to be in favor at the moment, to say the least. Not so, even with the team either, so it's not even yeah. an option right now. And a lot of the questions, I, I think, Scott, let's just start here. A lot of the questions focused on the, the issue of whether we should be addressing midfield as a priority or striker as a priority. And 
while I think both are important, I certainly think midfield, the importance of midfield is more short-lived because I think once party's back, you can kind of get through this season. We have the pieces we need. I'm not sure if that's the case with striker because while I'm really impressed with what Lacazette's done, I do think a striker who can do some of that and chip in with a few more goals could really be the difference between top four and not top four. So do you tend to agree that striker is the position that can move the needle the most? I think so, because, I mean, goals win games. I know it's, mm-hmm. it's kind of weird to say it, and this is this, my big Tim stats thing. Tim hates goals. I know, he, he hates, does, hates right? Goals, yeah. Um, so, yeah, if, if you're looking at a way to get points, it's score goals. I mean, because I think we're, we're fine in the no, not conceding goals. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, yeah, if we're, if we're looking at something that could move the needle to help get us into top four, that is the one that you can do with one player. Yeah. I don't think there's another position that we really have on the field right now where one player is going to really move the needle more than marginal gains. This would be a, something that we might be able to get a few percent, more than just a couple percentage points out of it. Yeah, and, and I think like we put so much pressure on these young guys, Saka and Martinelli and Smith Rowe, to chip in with goals. And it's not that Lacazette can't do any of it, but I, I think giving them a little help in that department. Granted, we'd be doing it with another 21-year-old player, but, you know, again, it is... It, almost it, 22. Almost 20. Hey, 21 until he's 22, Scott. You know how it works. Um, okay, well, let's let's take a couple of questions. And one of the first ones I want to start with, I think, is an interesting one, not related to transfers necessarily, but it comes from Open Season at Neil Lark on Twitter. And he says, we have exactly the same number of points from the same fixtures as last year, where we finished eighth, as if we need reminding yeah. of that, of course. Um, so why does this year feel so much better? And is the improvement real? And if so, why is the outcome the same? It's the hope that kills you. I think this is a great opportunity to talk about what is different, Scott. And so... Same number of points from the same fixtures. Why does it feel different, if it feels different? And just so everybody kind of knows, when we say same fixtures, we're, we're talking about, we're replacing promoted teams with... With newly promoted yes. teams, yeah. So, yeah, the relegated teams with the promoted teams. And there's some variance in that, because obviously some of them are going to be better or worse than others. And, you know, it so works. this is something that I, I do like to look at um, from time to time. So um, I think it's a, a good way to sort of give yourselves a, an apples-to-apples comparison, although we are actually at the, the midway point, so I think we're... Um, at a, a spot where we can kind of look at the team, just how we're doing in general. But when I look at this, when we're on the same number of points, when I went back and looked at this, we are playing the games where we did really well last year. So we have a lot of chances to make up points over the next month. So there's a lot of matches that we lost over the lot that are coming up. So yeah. where we have a really good chance to gain points. So it's really important that we didn't lose points over these yeah. because this is where, you know, we think about last year when we were the, the post-boxing day champions, right? Mm-hmm. These were yeah. the matches that, yeah. that happened then. So we were good then. We're good now. Well, we're top four now. I think it feels different for me too, though, because like, first of all, last season, there were still a lot of players playing a lot of minutes that we weren't as sold on or weren't as excited about. I think just the group in general, right? Like we love Tomiyasu. Benjamin White and Gabriel formed a nice partnership. Ramsdale has revitalized the energy in the side. Obviously, Martinelli's come in and, and been a revelation. Smith-Rowe, Saka. You know, Smith-Rowe only came in right after Boxing Day. Um, Odegaard was in and out of the team last season with some injury stuff. He's in now. So like, I just, I think I like this team better, but the part that feels most different, and you'll never guess what I'm going to talk about, the attack. The attack just feels now like Arteta has structured us to really put more of an emphasis on playing the opposition half. Pressing in there, keeping the ball there, creating shots. And that, to me, without that, I think the ceiling on where you can finish is pretty low because you're trying to nick games, you know, a 1-0, a 2-1. This feels like we can really go after teams and bury them. And I think one of the things that, it kind of goes with what you're saying, is it's the sequencing of the games. Yeah. So 
I, I think if we had had some of those early losses now, maybe that would change our opinion. But even though we lost to Manchester City, that was a good performance. Yeah, That might have been the best we've played. I think that even, even when we're down to 10 men, I thought we were doing really, really well. Yeah. So I think that you can look at that, and even though it was a loss, mm-hmm. it was equally as bad as the loss that we had last year. So there wasn't any change in the points. There wasn't any change in well, it was it was one to nothing last year instead of two to one. So you know there really isn't the a net loss in the goals, but I think you could say in the performance there was a huge difference because if you remember back to that one nothing, it was Manchester City just took their foot off the gas and then kind of played with us like a you know a cat playing with a mouse. <laughs> so it was yeah. just they just they didn't care. Yeah. They were just like oh, we know we're better than you. If you guys score, we'll just score again, and it doesn't really matter. Yeah. This year. They, they had to fight for everything, and you know, it took everything bouncing in their direction to get that win. Well, I mean, I mean it just took the referees being bent. Like, that's actually pretty straightforward. I that's think, true. But, yeah. um, well, so, obviously, there's a lot of questions about Stryker. And before I, I go to specific ones about what we should do, like, let's talk about Vlaovic. I mean, just put it out there on a percentage chance. Like, likelihood that you think we get Vlaovic in January, just a percentage chance of it. I'm, I'm kind of at the 50-50 right wow, now. Okay. I, think, I think that there's some smoke there. Um, Didn't Mikel say, like, we will move in this window? Like, it was I pretty unequivocal. It seemed like it. So, But the one thing that kind of makes it a little weird, and I think we have some questions also that are along that line, is that I'm not sure how sold the player is on moving to Arsenal. Okay, let, let's let's just talk about that. Like, So this, this I think, is really interesting because I know uh, the Arscast talked about this and Andrew was talking about the importance of getting a player that really wants to be at Arsenal versus other teams. And I think we have... We have to sort of balance, right, the fact that clearly Arteta values character, commitment, all of those things, as you should. But, like, at some level, if you want to have the absolute best players in the game at a club like Arsenal, part of it is understanding that if they become some of the best players in the game, they may want to go to a Madrid or a Bayern or once upon a time a Barca, but they're terrible now, so LOL. But like, and they don't have any money. And they don't have any money. They're well, skin. But like, I just borrow money and buy your players anyway. But it's, it's, Yeah, if, if you look, the funny thing is if you look at the best players we've had, whether it's Thierry Henry or Robin Van Persie or Cesc Fabregas or Patrick, like they left Arsenal and went to Barca and they went to Juve and they went to, you know, these, you know, Van Persie went to United, uh, which I don't know why I'm bringing all this up. This is all very painful stuff. I'm sorry, I'm sorry to ruin your day. But like, so then you look at where we are now and the club we've become and where are our players going and they're going to Everton or they're, you know, they're going to teams in Ligue 1 and, you know, not PSG. And so or we're paying them to go to, away. Paying them to go away. So, while I totally get the idea of wanting them to be committed, a player who thinks his future someday is at Real Madrid is probably a player that you're going to want if he's going to go to the top of the game, right? Like, if he's like, well, my ambition is to be at one of the good teams in England, hey, look, I love Arsenal. But if his ambition is, I'm going to be one of the best players in the world, then that just comes with the realization that they might wind up at a Madrid or a Bayern or, well, not Barca, at a, you know, Man, Man City or, or, or United. PSG, yeah. yeah. So I think um, this goes along with Kind of what we've been talking about with the, the contract year stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you want players playing for that next deal. Yep. You don't want them to be satisfied because I think that I think that everybody's professional, mm-hmm. but I think that there is a certain motivating factor of trying to get that next move, yeah. trying to get that next deal that really helps to push people to that next level. Yeah, I mean, if you get a 30-goal season out of someone and then they leave for Madrid, like, that's not... I mean, obviously, you'd rather they stay. Yeah. It's not the worst outcome. I guess the point is with Vavich is, like, I don't know why I would expect a player from another country who has no connection to the club to be like, of course I'd prefer Arsenal to Real Madrid. Like, I I can't ask that. What I would ask is, like, come here, bring that energy, that I'm going to be one of the best players in the world energy. 
play your heart out. And if you get your move to Madrid, it probably means you were really good for us and you really helped us along the way. Um, rather than we had to pay for you to leave to go to, go to a, a smaller club. Right? And I think <laughs> the team has actually probably found a, a fairly good balance. So we've bought some English players. We've made that kind of a priority. So we have Ramsdale. We got White this summer. And I think both of those players just... I think it's coming from where they, they grew up and where the prestige is and where do you dream of playing? Which teams were, you know, when you, when you were a kid, which teams did you have the, the poster on the wall kind of a thing that you grew up aspiring to play at? So if you're in England, you're going to want to, you know, maybe the English clubs are the ones that you, you really want to be able to do. Um, and I think there's a, a good balance there. So we have, you know, the academy kids. So I think they have a special connection with the team. So I'm hoping that, you know, some of those we might be able to to hold on maybe a little bit longer than, you know, if they grew up in, in France or something yeah. like that. Um, and I think you, got, you need some of a, a little bit of a balance of a, a, another player coming in and pushing, trying to make the team better, you know, wanting to go to a higher level. Yeah. I, I mean, ultimately, they're going to play so well that at some point you can't keep them anymore and you're taking 100 million pounds to move them on and build your project. It's, it's, they're the, not. it's the Dortmund model, right? <laughs> yeah. It's the, yeah. We, we understand that we're kind of a stepping stone. Um, it's, it's kind of like Arsenal can be Dortmund, but with more money. Yeah, like a, a Richard Dortmund. That sounds perfect. Yeah, so obviously one of the questions that a lot of people have is just about the target. And Kevin A. on Twitter at KC underscore Assem asks, thoughts and preferences on rumored strikers, particularly Isaac versus Vlaovic. I don't know why Isaac keeps getting brought up because I haven't seen like any really reputable links other than just that he's I mean I think there's, there's some like. like yeah it seems like there's a player that we've been kind of watching tracking for a while I think there was some kind of some some smoke last summer but I don't think there was a, a ton because he just re-signed his deal but you know that, that just means that they're trying to solidify whatever fee eventually do, he sells for do you think style-wise like the way we're playing now with Lacazette center forward that Isaac fits a little more of what we're doing I more think of an on the ball more in that style um I think yeah th that was kind of the interesting thing when I, I looked at what Vlajevic has, I'm, I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing things. It's horribly, on brand, man. It is, yeah. Mispronounce away, go for it. Um, but he's he's not um, Lacazette. I think he has Lacazette-like characteristics. I think there's certain things that Lacazette does that, that he can add as well, but he definitely has a different connection. Um, he has significantly more shots. Um, I think one of the things that's actually kind of interesting, um, I, I've spent the last couple of days uh, watching some old... Um, matches from earlier this year of him. Um, the one that I, I really actually liked was the, the one against Milan um, where he had two goals and assists, and I thought that, that was a, a very good game for him. But one of the things that's really interesting is that he doesn't press a lot, and I, I wonder if that's something that the team has scouted and thinks that they could do. He's just not being asked to do it right now, and I guess that's the, the big area where he doesn't do what Lacazette does that I would worry about the fit. Mm. I mean, I, I think, like, the... So, well, on the Vlaovic side, right, I know that, like, a lot of data people, and I would put you into that category, have had questions about Vlaovic, yeah. right? Like, his suitability based on underlying metrics. But we were talking about this off-air. off, off air. Like, I think when a player is 21 years old, you can't just look at the numbers and say this is who they are. I mean, Emil Smith-Rowe doesn't look great by the data. Bukayo Saka's getting better and better by the data, but still doesn't look like an elite player. The reason we know they're elite is, first of all, we watch them. We have eyes. Yeah. But also because we know they're young and going to get better. If... Smith Rowe today is the best he's ever going to be, then we might have a different view on what his ceiling is. But we project out yeah. the player we think he's going to be. So, like with Vavich, he's only 20, 21 until he turns 22. Like, I think. 
We can go decimal age. He's 21.9. Yeah. Well, like how many, and I, I realize like he scores a lot of penalties and he has a lot of headers and like those are things that are concerned. You also have to talk about like, well, what is the style of the team he's playing in? And you know, how does he fit that function? He's big, he's strong. He has. Yeah. He checks he, all the boxes yeah. physically. Like yeah. he is a specialist. He, he's, he's premier, in terms of premier league size and strength, he seems like he has that. I guess like, how do you try to look at the data for a 21 year old striker and balance that or be measured in your conclusions, given the fact that he's got a hell of a lot of goals for a young guy. You yep. know what I mean? Like that, that by itself means something. Yeah. So one of the things that I guess I'm, I, I've tried to, to think through this is he's kind of got superstarish type goal numbers right now. And he doesn't have the numbers that, that fully back up the superstar level, mm -hmm. but just because he's not at that superstar level, his underlying numbers are in the very good range. Yeah. And especially for the age, that he's at. How does he rate out for his age group? I, I think he's, I, I don't have it looking uh -huh. specifically for, yeah, thanks for that. you know, under 23. <laughs> we, were, we, were, we were there. I could have pulled it together if you, you know, kind of thought this through. I'd have but. a cocktail. <laughs> Prioritized. <laughs> um, but yeah, so like when you're looking at his shooting, and that's something that he rates quite well across the board. Um, so even ignoring the goals, um, which we know are very important, but trying to understand the, the underlying numbers, it's very good. Um, I'm kind of looking here. So um, in the non-penalty XG, he's right about 50th percentile for um, all forwards. Um, uh, in the non-penalty goals, he's at 84th percentile. So that's where we're talking about. Like, he's really at that superstar level. So even taking out the penalties, he's still at a very good level for the goal scoring that he's doing. Um, he's a very good finisher. Um, gets it on target at least 50% of the, or is that about 50, 50th percentile. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things that, that I really like, and this is something that I, I dislike about Lacazette, and that's one of the things that, I guess, bugs me, is that Lacazette gets into a lot of really good shooting positions. But doesn't shoot. But doesn't pull the trigger. <laughs> but does not shoot. So his um, percentile for, so I say, deep touches per shot um, is at 78th percentile. So he mm -hmm. is a guy, when he gets the ball in the box, is pulling the trigger. That's good. And that's great. And to me, yeah. so like that's, that's a good thing to be able to do. So maybe you're taking a few more marginal shots, but I think those are things that are good because... You can go into a hot rung, right? You can yeah. start scoring those, and you can good things happen when you actually take a shot. I mean, if I had to worry, and you know, as whiskers, it is my job to worry. It's that we've found something really special with a striker who drops in and plays this false nine and almost plays like a fourth midfielder, like to make up a diamond with this new system we're playing. And now you're talking about bringing in a young guy who wants to get in the box and be on the end of moves. And but he's also, he actually is very good in build-up as well. Is he really? Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, one of the things that... Because his passing numbers didn't look great to me, yeah, but, but I, I'm also dumb, so I don't know. So, he, he, he tries hard passes. Mm -hmm. that's, that's kind of what that's I'm good. generally saying. That. So and, and you know what? And it's okay to be a forward and not have a, a high pass completion because, like I said, doesn't have a, a great pass completion rate. Um, but the passes that he does try, um, he, he actually completes them at a rate higher than expected. So, he tries a lot of hard passes, completes them well. Um, one of the things that I actually think is, is pretty interesting is just his, his usage rate at uh, Fiorentina. So, like, everything is kind of built around him. Um, but he's also very much involved in the play before it gets into um, the box, which is kind of interesting. So, yeah, I've, I've got this thing that I've started working on here. So, I call it XG buildup usage. So, I look at the, the, the XG buildup for a player, and then I look at the total XG um, for the team while they're on the field. So how much of a team's XG were they involved with? Um, and he comes out at the, the 78th percentile for that. So to me, that's a, a sign that somebody does a lot of good stuff um, outside of just getting on the end of things. And I think that's something, if Arsenal wants something in the mold of Lacazette, that we need to be able to kind of check, uh, check that box on the, the to-do list. Yeah, I mean, I think 
I think ultimately, Arteta obviously knows the system he wants to play in. And while I've never been, this is going to sound coming, weird coming out of my mouth, but if Arteta believes it's the right move, I trust him yep. in the sense that like he knows very clearly how he wants to play. And so if he said, this is the player I want, I find it really difficult to believe that he won't have the qualities Arteta. Now, it doesn't mean the transfer will work out. They're always a bit of a crapshoot. But in terms of just his characteristics, yeah. I got to believe that a manager who's so particular about the style of play and positional play would pick a striker that then is incongruous or not a good fit for, for the system he wants to play. It doesn't, doesn't make any sense. Yeah. The only, I guess, reservations I have is always about the price. Mm -hmm. It's can we make it work um, with the budget? Um, you know, is this going to stop us from doing another move? Um, is it going to be so now we can't have a midfielder as well? Um, if, you know, it's so that's the, the big thing. So it's not the player that I have the worries about. It's, you know, being able to get value for money. I guess here in being able to, to figure out if that is the thing that actually works. Yeah. Um, by the way, a good question from Halliday at Void Halliday on Twitter. Can you fry an egg under the heat of the studio lights? And the answer is not so much under the heat of the studio lights, but the heat of the screen behind us. Yes. Like that might as well be a pizza oven. Like you, you could definitely make a nice Neapolitan style pizza so. on that screen, which, you know, maybe we have to go get some afterwards. You yeah, might have to do that. Um, I'll make a pizza dough. We'll push it up against the screen, see what happens. I don't think Blue Wire would invite us back. If we no, did. probably not. Probably not. Um, it, it would smell really good in here afterwards. Yeah, I mean, I. So here, here's here's an obvious basic question. Like, do you so in, inside Arsenal at Insight underscore Arsenal asks, assuming that he stays beyond the January transfer window, how do you see Oba's reintegration into the team panning out? I mean, I guess we've all just sort of taken it for granted that Oba at Arsenal is done, but we know that moving him on will be difficult. Do you think there is a world where we reintegrate? Because like, let's say. And again, I think we're playing better without him. And I think Lacazette has done a really good job in a role that I don't think suits Aubameyang. But in a world where, let's say, Lacazette is not available for one reason or another, and Aubameyang is available and is, you know, let's say all the things that happen personality-wise. He's contrite. He's working hard. I mean, the, do you the, think the there's a path back? The time wounds a little bit, him being away. Um, with, I'm not saying with, I see any of this happening. but, but I, I don't think it's unreasonable to, yeah. to think that it, it could happen. I think, yeah, the, the time away, um, maybe he reconsiders things. Um, the moves that he thinks he might get in January don't come to fruition. And maybe that kind of thinks, all right, well, maybe I should stick it out here kind of a thing. I think, I don't think it's a, a zero. I, I'd probably, if, I, if we're going to put a, a percentage on it, I think it's probably like a 40 to 50% chance that there's, that he plays again this season. Yeah. I guess I just don't know what the, what the or at least end, comes back with the team. Yeah, because I mean, he has what he has one more season after this season, yeah. right? And so right? if we can't move him, does he want to not play football anymore? Because he knows that, that's the thing. The, the, I got to give Arteta credit in this respect. Because of what happened with Ozil, Aubameyang knows if he plays a game of chicken with Arteta, Arteta will just never, ever play him. It's not like Arteta will crack. So there is a strong incentive for him to try to find a way back. I just don't know. You know, I feel like we've sort of moved beyond what he is and not playing as much as he's not been playing, what's he going to come back and look like and how would he integrate into the side? So I don't, I don't, so I don't see one it. One of the things I actually think is kind of interesting is that it's almost that we've developed two systems. Um, I think that, Mark, I don't, and this is going back to a long-standing concern that we have, is can you play Martinelli and Oba together? Um, and that's where I think Smith-Rowe works so well with him because he's a little bit more of that auxiliary midfielder but still does a lot of the, the late runs into the box. 
Um, so, because, you know, Oba is going to be on that laugh, last, you know, shoulder of the defender, uh, making the runs into the channel. And that's where Martinelli wants to be right now, um, especially with Lacazette dropping deep. So it's just you have the striker now in that left channel instead of the left wing, yeah. who's now moving into being more of the, the auxiliary 10. Um, so I'm going to, you know, here I got a, a, a question for Whiskers. Oh, for Wait You Well. I mean, All right. I'm always ready for that. All right. Whiskers. Yes. Are you worried that by pushing out the boat, actually, let me say who it's from. This is from, from Brooks Winner, who is Brooks Winner 2 on Twitter. Yes. Brooks Winner 1 is a jerk, so I'm glad it's not. That's him. right. Yeah. Are you worried that by pushing out the boat in January, we might be giving up on the process or the project? And once again, looking for shortcuts back to the top four, or would we be turning back on the strategy that works so well in the summer? Yeah, I mean, I, right, so I get it, right? Like, one of the things that I was really critical of, so many things, but one of the things was that, like, we did a lot of short-term trying to just patch up the boat and get us back into top four moves that didn't make sense as part of any kind of process yeah. and were very haphazard. This past summer, obviously, we moved away from that. So, like, yeah, if we brought in, like, Coutinho on a permanent deal or something, yeah. like, yeah, that'd be bad. But, like, Vlavic is 21. Yeah. If we push the boat out to get a 21-year-old striker, which is, A, a position we need, and, B, an age that we are legally now allowed to buy, as opposed to, you know, our prior rules, which required that they be at least 27 or older. Um, yeah, I, I don't worry about it because, as of right now, the moves we're sort of linked with seem like they very much fall in line with what we're talking about. I think, you know, last January, we did a short-term-ist deal sort of in loaning Odegaard. But that had a, a view towards a longer-term plan. And I have to admit, again, I didn't think getting him permanently seemed realistic, and we pulled that off. So the club has, at a minimum, and I think Edu and Arteta specifically have earned, I think, some trust, right? It doesn't mean that now everything they did was great and the bad stuff never happened. Like, exactly. We're not, we're not going to stop questioning things, right? But right? the plan has really been executed at a very high level. So I, I have a lot of faith in that. So no, I'm not as worried about it. I guess the way I see it is yeah. that it does. this move doesn't feel like we're doing it just because it's there. This feels like something that we would have done in the summer. We're just moving it forward six yeah. months. And I think that's something. So if this is still part of the process. This is still part of the project. We are just seeing an opportunity to do something six months earlier than maybe we would have been able to do. And I think this is, you know, this is a chance where we can get somebody who can really move the needle. And I think it makes sense. Yeah. No, I, I think absolutely. And like, And again, like, the best thing I think to do would be to pull forward a summer move to January with the eye that I towards getting into the top four, right? Like the, the reward for being decisive now, if it can get you a Champions League place, is worth it. Like if we were sitting 12 points off top four right now, well, first of all, I, you know, it'd be apoplectic and my hair would be falling out and we'd be screaming in the microphone. But like, I don't think we'd be as concerned about making a right now move yeah. because what's on the line wouldn't be very much. I, I, I like this. This is kind of a fun one from Doozy123 on Discord. What's the first Arsenal transfer rumor you can recall involving a player that made you very excited, turned out not to be true, and that now seems ridiculous or hilarious in retrospect? Oh, I mean, I, I remember all the Benzema ones. I was so excited for, mm -hmm. for Benzema. I, I thought that, you know, wasn't he spotted in the, the mosque in London and it was a practically a done wasn't deal? Wasn't Diab He goes to Diaby's mosque or yeah. something and like, I go to the same mosque as Diaby and I, yeah, yeah. he said it's uh, happening. That, I think that was the one... Because, I don't know, you look at Benzema now, and like I, he's probably the best... The best pure striker in the... I, yeah, you might, like, yeah, Lewandowski. Well, Holland, Holland yeah, and Lewandowski. Yeah. Lewandowski but yeah. he's dragging a decent Real Madrid yeah. to a, a huge lead in La Liga. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that, that's the move for me. Not bad for a guy who lives in Giroud's shadow at, at the I, national <laughs> team level. Um, I think for me, 
and I don't know how excited I was, but just I remember thinking it was going to happen and getting myself excited about it is the Wayne Rooney one. Remember, like, so-and-so next, Rooney Rooney next, blimey. Was it, it was so-and-so done, Rooney next, blimey, I believe was the tweet. And uh, just think, like, looking back on the idea that, like, Wayne Rooney was going to come to Arsenal. You weren't excited I, about James Madison this summer? I mean, I was very excited when it didn't happen. Oh, boy, did we have fun fights about oh, what yeah. James Madison is worth in the transfer market. Yeah, I mean, the other one... Which I think we're going to have similar ones for, for Vlavovic. Or, sorry, I'm just going to go lean right into it, right? Vlavovic, Vlavovic. Yeah, I, I mean, this is what you do. It is so what you I do. You just got to do it. Otherwise, people wouldn't, wouldn't know what to do. The other one that I was really excited about was Cesc Fabregas coming back. Like, I wanted Cesc back home. Yeah. And, like, it doesn't look ridiculous in hindsight because it legitimately could have happened, yeah. right? Like, I think he wanted to come to Arsenal. I don't think there was any debate about that and Ars didn't, didn't, there wasn't there like a, a first refusal on the transfer yeah the rumors that but like Arsene Wenger didn't want to go back yeah. down that path and we uh, you know I think we had messed at Ozil so it or we were going for Ozil or we, do we still have uh Cazorla there too yeah I, I, I think mean, he was he was trying to come back from injury I, I wanted that to happen candidly but I know there are a lot of people booing and hissing right now so we can move on here's one Rob Andrews at AFC boom one Good I name. guess AFC go boom uh who will be better out of Saka Smith Rowe and Martinelli um, so this is uh, an interesting one. Why don't you so, order them? Put them in order. Um, and the one that you put lowest in the order, I will then tweet out that you think that player stinks. Okay, that's that's totally fine with me. Yeah. Um, I'm going to say, I'm going to go with floor. Um, so this is where I think who has the, the highest floor. Highest floor, okay. okay so so not, not who could be the best player if they hit their ceiling, but who will absolutely hit a level where that I think, is the yeah. highest. Um, that I, I, so I think it's uh, Saka, Martinelli, Smith-Rowe. I think that is probably right from a... You know, I'll actually go the other way. I'll say if we're just going on floor, it's probably Saka Smith-Rowe Martinelli. Okay. Because uh, yeah, I think I, Martinelli's floor is he just doesn't score enough and he runs around a lot and, like, he never... It I, never I, just, I, I, just, I just see his floor as he's a guy that's going to get you two shots at a pretty good rate and he's going to be a... I think his floor is a 0.2 to 0.3 XG-ish kind of guy. You know, maybe... Maybe he gets to point four By the way, goals and assists. When when people wonder like why is you know why is this podcast popular? It's for lines like I think his floor is point two or point three xg like that I, that kind of line that yeah. just brings in the audience like That's they right. just come running for that. I, I get but then if I was rating by ceiling, I think I'd go Martinelli Saka Smith. I, I think I agree with. And that. the reason is I think Saka can obviously be one of the best players in the world, but I think what's his ceiling? Is it sixteen goals and eight assists or seventeen goals and ten? I mean again, amazing. Mark Nelly, you kind of look at what what Sterling did. I think that you kind of point to that yeah. if everything goes right is kind of the ceiling, and you know you might get a twenty goal season with you know a bunch of assists kind of adding onto it. So absolutely a very, very super very, super, super elite. Star. But yeah. I think Mark Nelly is the one guy that again we're just talking ceiling based yeah. on his shot locations and his age and what he, what we see in terms of. I mean, he had what four shots inside the penalty box against Manchester City, who don't I think they allow like two a game or yeah. one a game. Um, I think his ceiling is that 30 goal a season guy, or dare we say something even beyond, you know, 35, the kind of thing you just see generationally. And again, pure ceiling. And I, I think those kinds of guys are just extremely, extremely rare. So while I'm not saying that's what he'll hit, and while I think Saka probably is more likely to be the better player than Martinelli, on, if you had their careers play out 100 times, yep. more of the times I think Saka would finish with a better career than Martinelli, but there's going to be a few of those times I think Martinelli becomes like a, a goat, you know. Yeah, the, the higher it's the yeah. higher variance, right? Yeah. So yeah, more more high, more low. Um, yeah, but still super exciting, and I think we both love him. So just to be clear, Scott thinks that Smithrow sucks. You said the same order. 
You are, at least you had him at last two. No, I, what I said is that they are all equal in my heart, and That's I can't pick any of my children. No, I, I'm curious, why Why do we have Smith Rowe, Laura? I mean, this is a guy who literally every time he kicks the ball, it goes true, in the back right? of the net. Isn't that, like, pretty important? It is important, right? Yeah. But, I, yeah, I don't know why we, we've kind of thought that. I think maybe the, I think, at least where I'm coming down here is that um, I think Saka is further in the development and being able to do things on a week-in, week-in-out basis where mm -hmm. I think he is literally our best player um, almost every time we play. Um, and I think that we, or at least I see things in Martinelli that bring me lots of excitement. Um, but, and it's, it, this is a tough question because I, I really like Smith Rowe. Um, I think there's a lot of the, the things that he does that bring in things that this team needs, the, the runs from deep, the ability to carry the ball, find good spots for shots to be able to do those kinds of things. I think there's more things that he can do to raise his game. And I think that's maybe more of where the, the questions are, um, where I think that there's just a, a couple more things that I think he has areas to improve on. Yeah. Um, okay, let's get into some stuff that we can worry about because there's not enough worrying happening here okay. at all. It's way too light. So Josh, thankfully, gives us the stuff to worry about at Josh Robinson 87 Let's talk about some contracts. Lacazette 2022, Arteta 2023, Saliba 2024, Saka 2024. Should we be pressing ahead now and extending these contracts? Alarmingly, Arteta only has 18 months left, and Saka next summer will have the dreaded two years left. And there's little whispers now of teams that might be interested in Saka, but, yep. you know, you'd expect that. And I thought Arteta handled that well in his press conference, right, which is you you want teams talking about your players, right? Like Yeah, you, that's you kind of want, what we talked about yeah. earlier, right? We, we want to be linked with other players, good teams yeah. coveting our players. Yeah, you don't want your players linked with moves to, like, League 2. Yeah. Right, yeah. Um, so let's go through those one at a time. Lacazette, presumably we're in agreement. You let him go for free with a handshake and thank him for his service. I mean, yeah, it's like if he wanted a one-year deal, that's fine, but I don't think that's what he's looking for. And I totally, I don't begrudge him for that. I think that this this is probably his last big contract. Go get paid. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and I mean, I gosh, I'm I love to beat a dead horse, but this is what's great about having players that are playing for their next contract. Lacazette has to play his best football right now because he stands to make a lot of money yep. by doing it. And that benefits him and it benefits us. It's alignment, right? Our our incentives are aligned. So that's really good. Um, this is a tricky one. The next one is Arteta. And I'm going to read a question from Sammy T at Sammy underscore T who says for you, which is good because I can't answer for anyone. I can only answer for me. For you, for me, for me, for moi. What is the milestone that triggers an extension for Arteta? Are you there based on the city game? Is it top six? Is it something else? He's got 18 months left. You probably would get to a point this summer where you're, you want to renew it. You don't want a situation where you're going through next season with contract as a distraction. And um, we, we saw that a lot at the end. With Arsene Wenger. Yep. Yeah. So what, what are those... What would trigger... What milestones... Like, look, I have to admit, I'm starting to drink the Arteta Kool-Aid. I, I had drank it a bit. Then it soured a little bit. They didn't have the mix right. Maybe it had gone a little stale. They didn't leave, put it back in the refrigerator. It was left put out. A, a little bit more sugar in there. No, I, yeah, needed a little sweetener in that. And now I'm uh, the Kool Aid is is tasting cool and eighty again. But what what still needs to happen in your mind, if anything, to trigger us extending him? Presumably in the summer. I don't think it needs to get done now, but presumably in summer. Yeah, and I think that's one of the things that's interesting is it's it's not like players. Um, coaches just. There's not usually a transfer fee associated with yeah. managers. Yeah. It's you know, it's uh, he wants to go, you kind of just let him go, kind of a thing. Yeah. Um, usually, you're paying them to leave. Let's be honest. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah that, that is true. Yeah. Um, I, I think I've been pretty consistent on what my goals are for the season. I think tops. I think top six getting back into the Europa League at a minimum is the minimum requirements. But it's not just 
getting to that. I wanted to see the performances get to a certain level. I want to see signs that we are ready to next season really, really fight for the top four. Is, is there a league table finishing position that's a requirement for you? Forget how we're playing. Forget anything else. If we're below it, he's gone. If we're above it, he can have an extension. Do you, do you have a, a I, cut think, I think top six. I think that is the absolute minimum requirements. I, don't, if, I think if we finish seventh place, I, I think we have a lot of questions, and I think it's... Especially from this position, right? We're, we're exactly, and if, and if we're talking about if we're seventh place, I don't, I'm not looking for an extension, right? You know what's funny? And, and this, this kind of bit Unai Emery in the butt, too, which is that, like, if Arteta had had a sitting seventh, one point off sixth right now, and down the run we played well and we finished comfortably in sixth, I think people would say, we met that first bar, great. Now that we're sitting in fourth and we're playing some really good football not finishing in the top four is going to start to feel like a disappointment if that happens. And so this is the problem with raising your expectations, right? Is that when you don't hit those elevated expectations, people get upset. I think, look, for me, it's very simple. And people are going to say I'm setting the bar too low. We outplayed City this weekend, this past weekend. I think as long as we play at a level higher than Manchester City in every game the rest of the season, I'm fine with him staying that, and getting the contract. I think that, no, um, I, like I think, so here's what I would say. I won't put a, n a number on it in terms of finishing position or anything like that. I won't even put a point total on it. I'll say, if we continue to play football, like the football we've been playing the past month or so, and I don't mean winning 5-0, 6-0, whatever the case is. I mean just this kind of football that creates shots, that presses, that wins the ball back high up the pitch, that's fun to watch aesthetically, that, that looks like it can produce results against the weaker teams. That's good. That's and I think the really I interesting thing about that too is like we, we didn't have a lot of the ball against City, but we controlled space. So I think that's something that's really interesting too. And then we attacked quickly. We did a lot of things that I think that would be classic Arteta ball, the way that we were able to do things. Um, the structure of the team seems to everybody signs understanding their role. Yep. Um, and I think you can kind of see what he's trying to push well, in fruition. And the other thing is like when we got him from City, like one of the things that I think he was known for that we hoped was that he was really good at nurturing young talent and, and getting the best out of them. You know, Sterling was a player that was, was pointed out and, I mean, it's really, I think at this point, pretty clear that he is having that kind of effect. I mean, Bukayo Saka has gone from strength to strength under Arteta. Emil yep. Smith-Rowe, strength to strength. Odegaard has gotten better and better. I don't think, you know, maybe on his loan, and who did he go to, Sociedad or something? Yep. In, in La Liga, he was supposedly excellent. But, like, he might be playing his best football right now for us under Arteta. Obviously, what Gabriel Martinelli is doing, he looks like a world beater, and I think people had concerns about that. But he was coming back from an injury, right? And and we managed it well, and now he's playing great. Um so I, I do think that his work with the young players is another key factor. Because if Arsenal is going to be any good, like really good, title challenging good, it's only going to be if those young players do hit some of that ceiling or get yeah. close to that ceiling, even the guy you hate, Emil Smith-Rowe. So like, I do think that Arteta has checked a lot of boxes now for me in terms of he's got us playing football in the parts of the pitch that I really like. He's got the young players starting to hit levels that we're going to need to get better. Certainly in terms of buy-in. I don't think there's any question. You know, there were, obviously, man management was something that I banged on about and worries about going to war with players. But, like, you can't argue with what the team seems to be saying and look at, they look like they really like playing for this guy and, like, they're prepared to fight for him. So, yeah. hard to argue. And I think there's, there's been ample opportunities where the players could have given up. They could have done what Manchester United's doing under Ralph Ragnick right now and kind of started hearing the whispers. Um, we could have heard that earlier in the season. We could have heard that last season during our, our dreaded run, but that hasn't been the case. So I, I think the players still believe in what Arteta is trying to sell them. 
Yeah, a couple quick ones here. Alex Silverman at the underscore hunch. Do you believe in life after love? Always. Do you believe in life after love? Um, how about, um, here's another one. Uh, this one comes from James Perkins at Perkins Arsenal. I'm, I was actually pretty impressed that you could hit that after you know, your sort of I woke up this morning with no voice. We we had, what, like two drinks last night? Was just it two. two? Just, the, just the two, and I was devastated. Um, would you rather be a chicken for a year or have chicken legs and feet from the knees down for three years? Say the first one again. Would you rather be a chicken for a year or have chicken legs and chicken feet from the knees down for three years? I think the chicken legs and chicken feet. I think that's easy. But like, because the worst thing is, let's say you were the chicken, the full chicken. There is the, always the risk, and I don't want to give people nightmares, that someone would make you stand on a basketball and put you outside a toilet bowl looking yeah. uh, football stadium. That, and then That's, that's the, the nightmare, th- right? That is the nightmare scenario. Uh, Richard, at Richard Brown 31 asks, will there ever be a boy born who can swim faster than a shark? And this is a trick question because the answer is no, but there will be a girl born who can swim faster than a shark. So, Richard, you got to think outside that gender role stuff. Um, let's talk quickly about the fixtures coming up. We talked about this a little bit um, off air. I don't know if that's a thing. Like, is it? Are yeah. we on air? I don't know what to do with my hands. Was that Ricky Bobby? Yeah. I don't know what to do with my hands. Um, so, presumably now, Sammy Lakanga comes in and becomes a really important player for us. Uh, he's certainly, I would assume, going to start the derby unless we go single pivot with Shaka and use Emma Smith-Rowe. I, but I would assume Lukonga, who was in favor, very much in favor, and playing well other than Anfield, will come back in. I don't think we feel we want to use up players we need for the derby, certainly against Forrest, and maybe even against Liverpool. That's an open question. But, like, Sammy hasn't played. He hasn't started a game since Newcastle, I think, at the end of November or something. So it's a long time now. So, like... It, it feels like would you, 20 matches ago. Would you want him to so start against Forrest at the weekend to, like, because it's it should be a winnable game, a level that he can manage, and it gets him some football. I mean, it's been a long time, and you don't want to throw him into the derby having played like twelve minutes in a league cup tie. You know? Yeah, and, and I think he has to play um, just because I don't know if we have the numbers um, for everybody well, you, else. Well, you know, Patino can play, and yeah, you Sha- Shaka can play because he can play ninety minutes every single. Day. I mean, he, you know. Yeah, and I think one of the things we also talk about is like, is that also do you go with more of the the two attacking eights kind of thing? Is this? But it's again, mm-hmm. do you want to use Smith Rowe and Odegaard in this match? Do you? I mean, I think Smith Rowe is in in line to get some more minutes. This is a, a perfect opportunity for him to play because um, I think we do want to rotate to be able to to have an eye towards the derby. Yeah, I I, I would. But I think yeah, I think yeah, I think Lukonga needs the the match fitness. Um, I don't want him to be thrown right into a super high intensity game. Yeah, I thought it was interesting listening to Arteta talk about Maitland-Niles because he got a lot of questions about letting Maitland-Niles go to Roma and we certainly wish him well there and, and no hard feelings for a player who I think at times maybe didn't seem like he always wanted to do what was being asked of him or at least those were the rumors, but I think a talented player who just didn't quite find the role that he wanted. He was told he'd have minutes. The minutes didn't come. Um, really since Shaka came back from injury, Lakanga and Maitland-Niles both just sort of vanished um, and you can't complain with the results, so it is what it is. But I thought you know, Arteta was very clear to basically say, the player asked for this move. He wants to play. We had to honor it because we made promises to him, and so we have to do this for the player. And I, I think that is interesting. Like, where do you stand on a club ruthlessly doing what's best for the club, even if it's not in the best interest of the player, and saying to Maitland-Niles, for example, you can go in the summer, but we need you right now. You're not going anywhere, versus being a club that is willing, without wanting to set bad precedents, but willing to honor the needs of their players, especially long-serving academy graduates like Maitland-Niles. It's interesting, because I think we, we were ruthless putting the, the club's needs above his twice, right? So mm-hmm. he had the, you know, the rumor to go to, to Wolves, I think it was yeah, two years ago, 
um, when he was playing wing back and he was looking really good there. And then, you know, he wanted to, to possibly go this summer too, right? He had the, the Instagram post uh, about those kinds of things and, and wanting to leave. And then the club basically said, no, we, we need to keep you. Um, it may not have been the smartest move if we wanted to, to maximize the money that the club got, but we were being ruthless in the sense that we wanted to keep the numbers that we have with the team. Um, and I think to a certain point, like, you need to be able to to have players be able to, to buy in. So it's like, all right, if I go here, I'm not ending my career. Or it's like, I, I, this isn't the, the thing where it, it ends thing. You want to be a, a, a place that people want to come work, right? Like yeah. You want to be... But also, you don't want to be the place where workers know that they have True. The, Finding the power. The balance, right? But I certainly think you could say, we have not made Arsenal a place where players can just react to that one. By the way, it occurs to me that I didn't finish with our contract question because we got locked up on the... Um, oh, that's right on the Arteta thing, so I just want to roll back to oh, the, yeah, the one we yeah. left. Saka. Well, two, yeah, so Saka and Saliba. So let me just get back to that real quick. So the Saliba one, I think, is actually the more interesting one. The Saka one is, yes, yeah. we should extend him. We should extend him every 10 minutes if we can until he his wrists hurt too much from signing new extensions. Yeah, so fine, we should him, Yeah, he, he should be on a 10-year deal. Yeah, yes, I mean, you could certainly give him Aubameyang's money. I mean, don't give him Aubameyang's money, but you know what I mean. Um, but the Saliba thing is really interesting. I mean, all the quotes this season have definitely been more conciliatory and make it look like there's a way back. Marie's going to go. Chambers is going to go. I mean, I think based on the way we play and the number of games we might have if we, God forbid, or even in the Champions League next yeah. season, that Arsenal becomes a very attractive place for Saliba to want to be. Arteta now has the clout and credibility if that were to happen to say, like, this guy's really doing something. Look what he's doing for these other young players. I want some of that. Mm -hmm. I want some of the Champions League football. I want some of this up-and-coming team. You know, I want to be hitting long balls out to the wing, uh, <clears throat> Martinelli and, and Saka. So... I mean, I have been wrong about so, so many things. I've been right about a few things. Well, no, maybe not. But I, I've been wrong about a lot of things. I don't know that I've ever been as wrong or will look ever as wrong as anything because I was, I try to, when I give opinions, not say this is definitive. When they gave Saliba's number away and just the way everything had been going, I was like, you know what? He's never playing for Arsenal. Again, has, has your mind changed on that? I, I think there's definitely a, a possibility that he does it. Because <laughs> um, I, I think I was on that same mind frame as you where I thought that we had kind of burned the bridge but I feel like it's it's mended mm. it's it's coming back to life it's you, it's like Groot do you mend the, a burnt bridge because I feel like once the bridge is burned you can't mend it you'd have to build a new bridge no it's it's like Groot so he's regrowing and so the bridge is Groot yeah the, the, so it's not really a bridge it's a tree person it's a tree person I mean, you need to be very much, much clearer about these things. Okay. It's fine. We, See, we, you know what? I'm not Paul we'll with my with my analogies. analogies. So, I mean, that's that's his benefits and drawbacks. His elite skills. Keep keep going. I'm sorry, you just threw me off there. Um, but yes. So I, I think that there is starting to see some some mending of that relationship. So I think that that's something where, yeah, I, I think it is certainly a possibility. I think that we will need an additional center back next season. Um, I think we're going to have additional games that we will need to have cover, and. I think that's an exciting trio, right? To be able to have three guys that are, I think they'll all be, you know, tw under 23. Um, and that, that just is, is exciting to be able to, to kind of think about. And I think that that is certainly a possibility that we will have that. Yeah, I mean, I I would love to see Saliba come back and be a part of, a part of this team. Not because I, I think I know the level he can hit, but, you know, we invested a lot in him. He's a highly rated young player. And once again, I mean, <clears throat> if this player now comes back and is ready to be a part of the team and he's had a good experience in France, like it will just look like a plan that, that worked and, and you have and to even, give credit and, for that. And I think it's also, it's like, even if even if he doesn't come back, I think the loans that he's done at Marseille, 
he just looked really good. I think that there, we'll have no problem being able to make, make money on a transfer deal for him. I think that he will be incredibly in demand. Um, and I think it'll be good clubs that will want to buy him, which we talked about. Let's, let's that's keep the, the, theme, yeah. the, the theme of things. I think, mm-hmm. yes, that, that's something that's very good, that we have a, a good player here. The Arsenal Vision Podcast, where we root for our players to leave for bigger clubs. Um, how about this? Midfield, so I, I could see a striker coming in, and whether it's Vlaovic and whether it should be Vlaovic and whether it happens now or not, who knows. We know we need a striker, so reasonable. I think we also need a central midfielder. I am much less confident that we would make a permanent move for that player in this window. But there's some interesting possible loan options. Now, Party and Elneny might only miss two games. Yep. Um, you don't know what shape they're going to come back. You just never know. International tournament things happen. But if that were the case and they missed two games and you have Party, Shaka, Elneny, Sambi Lakanga, and then the, the odd academy player, whatever, who can throw it, some minutes in. It, or it's, it's still a little short. Like, you, you worry about it. You it's think- something to do in the summer. It, it, but it's it, and I, I still worry. Maybe I'm going to take the whiskers here. You can thing. have my whiskers. Um, Shaved them right off and handed them to you. We we burnt the bridge and then rebuilt the whiskers and put, I don't know. Um, but well, this, this is my question. I thought you were going to go into Manscaped Dad on the the shaving. You of know the what? Whiskers. It's too late for that. We'll we'll get to that in the next episode. But still, we love them. Um, and like this is why. Uh, but would you do any of the short term deals that are like? What about a loan for Ginny Winaldum or dare I suggest Aaron Ramsey or the. God forbid, short-term contract for like a Jack Wilshire to go, you know, put some minutes into those weary legs. Like, is, is there a short-term move you see out there that might make sense? I, I think if, if one Eldon wants to come, um, I think that one is a You no-brainer. nailed that name. Uh, you know what? I, I tried hard. <laughs> Everyone gets one. Um, that's um, what yeah, I, think, I think that one for sure. Um, Ramsey, he just he hasn't played, and I, I worry if he could actually, how much he could actually provide yeah. for the team. Um, Especially because he's a player that I think sort of similar to Party. When he gets five, six injury, games in a row, yeah, he gets yeah. great. But those first couple of games when he comes back, having not played in a while, he ne- he never looked particularly good. He's yeah. a player who needs a run in the side, and I don't think we w- would be able to give him a, a major run in the side. You know? Yeah. So that, I I do worry. Um. You know, because as as we see, as players drop out, getting COVID, you do you ever have enough in one position? Uh, That's a great point. Like another reason to do January deals is with the COVID chaos. The bigger your squad right now, the better your chance that your season doesn't collapse, right? You could go through a three-week period where suddenly you're gutted. And, of course, because we're Arsenal, we'd have to play the games. We'd never get them suspended. Because, yeah, because we'd, only have, we'd only have, you know, player. We'd have, like, two COVID cases in midfield. Everybody else is We healthy. would literally, like, take the guy out of the Gunnersaurus suit and have to play him. And they'd be like, look, you have Gunnersaurus. What, what, what are you complaining about? You can play. But, like, other than the conspiracy against Arsenal, like, I do think that's another that's another plus EV thing to have a bigger squad this season because of the chaos of COVID and it being unpredictable. Because I think that's something that we've we've trimmed down our squad because we didn't have Europe this year. So we have yeah. we don't have that full second team that we've had the last couple right. of years yep. um, where we could basically have a, a second 11 come in. We don't we don't have that same level of depth this year, which, yeah. is, which is fine. I think we've, we have better starting 11 this year. Which I'd always take. I'd, yes. I'd always take that. So, so as you look now down the road, a like, couple of things to finish off here. Top four. What are the odds? Again, you're throwing this at me without yeah. looking at it. No, no, no. Just um, off the top of your head, you're you're a learning computer. You'll figure it out. Forty percent. Forty percent. Okay. Um, I will say ninety-eight okay. percent. I think it's basically locked up. No, I'm kidding. But like, how much do those odds move based on the outcome of the the derby? So I, I looked at win and loss. What happens there? Mm-hmm. I didn't I didn't look at draw because that, that basically keeps us on, on where the same it is. Level. Same yeah. level. Yeah. Um, and I so a loss 
really, really hurts. This is, this is a six-pointer because mm-hmm. um, I really do think that, that Spurs are going to be the main competitor for this. Um, not, not United? They, they've dropped out uh, significantly, and mm-hmm. I, I, it, it, I, I think there's, there's a big possibility that that might just have the full tire fire wheels fall off. I mean, we can hope. Like that, I hope, yeah, I know. United being a, a disaster is like the dream scenario. But yeah, keep, keep um, so yeah, like, I think Spurs, especially since Conte has come, I hate to say it, but they, they've looked really good. Like their numbers have significantly improved. So they, they just lost Son, right? They did. Who so. somehow will magically be perfectly ready to play for the Derby, but they're saying he's going to be out to yeah, the next all, international, yeah, international break. break. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so they have really turned around to where under Nuno they were a bad team, and mm-hmm. now they they legit look like a, a top four contender. Um, when I run the rating systems, um, Arsenal and Spurs are now basically almost tied for fourth. Mm-hmm. Um, it kind of oscillates back and forth. So um, before City, Arsenal were above them. After City, it, Spurs kind of snuck in there above them um, because they were able to, to perform well against Watford. So it's it's going to be really close. Um, I, I worry about it. I, I would absolutely hate to see. But man, the nostalgia is coming back. Like the, those those. Pipping Spurs to yes. fourth on the final day. And, and we haven't, we haven't what was it? had it's one. It's 1-1 at Newcastle, and then it was, remember that, <laughs> on the last day? A 10-man Newcastle. Yeah. yeah, oh, man. I mean, there's so, so, many, so many good memories of pipping them to fourth. And, like, I, just to get St. Tottenham's Day back yeah. under those circumstances and, we have, and, and Champions League back. We haven't had one in so long. Like, we need to celebrate. Incredible. Um, so, yeah, I mean, so I guess it, it's Forrest then at the weekend. It's Liverpool away. As, as a final thought, it's Thursday, Sunday, the Liverpool game. I imagine they will heavily rotate and play a weakened team because that's what Klopp does with this competition. I am on record that I am not super concerned about the League Cup, but in your mind, what would you like Arteta to do in terms of balancing the squad for that and the Derby, and what do you think he'll do? Um, I'm going to start with what I think he's going to do. I think he, he thinks it's a semifinal. He's going to go full strength. I think, I think it's going to be pretty close to full strength. Um, I, I'm on there with you. I don't rate the League Cup as highly. Yeah, or at all. <laughs> um, and this is where I think the not having the game yesterday hurts. Because mm-hmm. I think we could have gone really full strength yesterday because we have Nottingham Forest at Sunday. Yeah. So that's a one. It's a really good chance to rest some players. And hopefully, yeah, you, you win that first home leg. And then maybe you can do a little bit rotation. Or maybe Klopp takes it a little less seriously now yeah. that if he's behind it. But now we have things flipped. And I think, but do you think Klopp being at Anfield will maybe play a slightly stronger team? Well, he he has the advantage of just like, he doesn't even have his best players anyway. So. That's true. He doesn't <laughs> so have an he, option. He doesn't even have an option, right? Yeah. I mean, and, and that. And that, this might be his only chance at, at I guess they still, because I, I think that the title's gone for them. You know, they've got Champions League coming back around the corner. I just, I don't see him do, I mean, again, he doesn't have many options because his best players aren't there anyway. That, that re- configuring of the fixtures was really unfair to us in that respect because I it just the way it played out with those games bracketing the derby was terrible. So yeah, right. it added congestion where we didn't need congestion. Well, we'll see. We should get to see some fun young players and players we don't see a lot against Forrest, I would think. I would expect Smith Rowe maybe to start. I think so. Do you have any any concerns or issues with Martinelli keeping his place ahead of Smith Rowe, by the way? Do you think Smith Rowe... Like, uh, Arteta was asked about this, actually. Yeah. I thought he, he made a really good point. He's like, this is a good thing. Yeah. Players are getting in. They know there's competition. They're having to play their their best to keep the shirt, and that's good for the team. And he's right. It just may not always feel good for the player who's on the outside looking in. Because you know? I, mean, I think you can look at it from the other perspective, too. It's like, has Martinelli done anything to deserve to not play? No. I, I, so no. that's the thing where if Martinelli keeps playing at the level, 
he keeps playing. And well, and Smith Rowe is the unfortunate part of actually being an excellent sub who's come in and like made and, a big difference. And so he can kind of doing it. <laughs> he can kind of fill in in any of the three spots across mm-hmm. the the attacking line there. So I think that there's there's plenty of minutes for Smith Rowe. I think maybe he yeah. I think there's a chance that that Odegaard maybe needs a break. And those are times where you know Smith Rowe can come in and yep. he'll have a chance to do a lot of the the Odegaard kind of things. Yeah. Uh, heaven forbid Saka might need a break someday. Yeah, I mean. He's headed for like 7,000 minutes this season, so he's sure, surely he's going to get a break at some point. Um, I think we can leave it there. There's going to be an instant reaction to the Forest game, uh, which hopefully will just be sort of a fun, almost academy-level instant reaction. And then we'll start with our, our transfer stuff on the Patreon side next week, so you'll you'll be seeing probably a Vlaovic scouting video, which is a sure sign as possible that the deal will not happen, so apologies in advance for that. I hope people enjoyed, uh, those who watched on YouTube, seeing this studio, and again, it is absolutely incumbent upon me to say thank you and how much we love you and everybody who listens to this show uh, mainly for Tim and Clive and Paul and not either of the two people who could actually be in the studio, but you get the idea. It is um, it is the dream of a lifetime to sit in a space like this with that logo behind us talking to you about Arsenal, and, and I, I can't be uh, thankful enough. I, I mean, I can be thankful enough. I just have to try to articulate that, which is a struggle, so I should stop podcasting at this point in this beautiful studio. Scott's on Twitter at O underscore, under, o underscore that underscore crap. Thanks, Scott. It was so much fun. Yeah, so much fun. We're going to go cook that pizza on the wall. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. We love you. I mean, we really just straight love you, and we will talk to you after Arsenal 10. Uh, for us, no. Chapman, welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.